You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, let's welcome Lindsay David, the co-founder of LF Economics. Uh, he's just released a, a report called The Big Rort that is looking into some of the lending practices by Australia's big banks. They've been in the media left, right and centre. And Lindsay, uh, the timing of this report is very interesting. Uh, what's your key finding in The Big Report? Uh, well, The Big Rort report, uh, there were several key findings Uh what we we started to look very closely in on the uh, those who have already defaulted on their mortgages, particularly in Western Australia and parts of Queensland, to try and get a better understanding of what the characteristics and profile of those who who have defaulted or are very close to defaulting on their mortgage. Um, what type of uh, what, what do they like? Who are they? What do they look like? And and how did they get financed? And um, what we found was quite remarkable. Obviously, as everyone knows, we've been heavily inundating ourselves with uh, research into uh, mortgage control fraud, whereby the banks have been uh, playing around with uh, borrowers' financial circumstances to make them look more creditworthy than what they really are to get their to get the loans across the line. We found that to be remarkably. I mean, it's just systemic. I mean, there's just no other way to to describe it. I mean, whether you're talking out in the country or in the mining towns or in the big cities, I mean, it's everywhere. And uh, the banks seem to be doing it with no hesitation on the back of um, our financial regulators doing absolutely nothing about it. So what is a control fraud? The word control in control fraud means uh, the controlling agents who's controlling the fraud. Now, you, you look into the media and you look at that, you know, uh, Four Corners episode the other week, you would you would kind of think that um, everyone's trying to lay blame on on the brokers or or the borrowers or um, you know to get the you know that are you know misrepresenting the the financial circumstances of themselves or or the or who the broker is representing uh, to the banks. And what we found was, well, if any borrower or mortgage broker was stupid enough to uh, fudge the financial circumstances of a borrower, um, all they're, they're merely doing is adding a second or a third layer of fraud to a lot of loans. So it, it's, you know, we, we would argue that whilst uh, there's this argument that people are, you know, fudging their financial circumstances to make them look more creditworthy than what they really are, uh, we would argue that on a more systemic level, the banks are actually manipulating the financial circumstances of the borrowers they're issuing loans to to make them look more credit worthy than what they really are. And the reason this is done is to uh, make their mortgage books look a lot safer than what they really are in order to be able to ascertain the, the cheapest possible funding in, in, in the global markets, uh, whether it's wholesale, residential mortgage-backed securities, deposit holders, and, and indeed shareholders. It's to make people... Uh, think that their mortgage books are actually a lot safer than what they really are. So as, as an example, what we found was in in close to 2,000 cases now that, that we've uh, looked at, it's basically most of these loans issued were for property and 
investment purposes and the size of the loans was actually in and around the, the size, the, the purchase price of, of the investment property or higher or slightly lower. So that's telling us that you know most of these loans that have defaulted were property investment loans whereby the bank lent the borrower or the investor 90% of the purchase price or greater. But when we when you start you know following the paper trail and doing the forensics of it all, the banks what, what a lot of these property investors that 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 have gone bust have essentially owned an existing property. So more often than not, it was there in their you know late fifties, sixties, uh, you know more often than not, and they bought their house back in the nineteen eighties. And they owed very, they owed either nothing or very little on their existing dwelling. And what the banks did was cross collateralize, whereby they would say, well, you know, if if your existing home that you live in is worth five hundred thousand, and you want to go and buy a five hundred thousand dollar investment property, instead of coming up with cash, we'll just give you five hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in in debt, so you can go and buy everything and not not throw a cent of your cash down as a as a deposit and then what they would do is because the first because the house they live in is worth 500,000 and the the investment property they just purchased was worth 500,000 and they borrowed let's say $515,000 to buy this investment property they came up with a loan to value ratio of 51.5% instead of 103% of the the purchase price so incredible the, the investment community who give our banks money? Yeah, well, well. So what, what's happening is the banks are recording on on their books that even though people are receiving you know loans without any without putting a cent of cash down, the banks are actually recording them as having a much lower uh, loan to value ratio. Now I just thought this was absolutely insane. So, so this really caught my eye. So what you're saying is that in Australia, we're using this combined loan-to-value ratio, you wrote in your report, where uh, the capital gains, the unearned increment on your house could be assumed as a deposit on your new investment property. And uh, listening to you talk there, it kind of reminded me of the ninja loans that helped undo America, where there was no income, no job. Uh, but uh, in this case, uh, perhaps they're uh, asset-rich, income-poor pensioners who've been convinced by some mortgage broker to uh, jump into the investment game and buy a property in one of these uh, mining towns. Once again, we're, we're laying a lot of blame here on the brokers. When he, he, Here's the facts. There's a act in this country called the National Consumer Credit Protection Act of 2009, and Chapter 3 of that Protection Act uh, makes it very, very clear that if you can't service the entirety of a mortgage, a bank is not supposed to issue you that loan. Now, from from the the from what we're we're gathering now is that, and what we've understood from from all these people who have defaulted on their their mortgages is more once again more often than not they were unverified, whereby the bank never called up the borrower to confirm the actual financial circumstances of the, the borrower. Second of all, they were almost all of them were pretty much interest-only loans. And all of them, almost, almost all of them, seemed unserviceable when the, 
the interest only period expired and and pretty much all of them almost all of them um, have succumbed have defaulted in a property market where house prices have already have, have fallen so it's only when house prices fall in a particular market does it actually expose how many people are ridiculously uh, leveraged and hold a loan that they just simply will never be able to repay because if you've gone and bought a $500,000 investment property and now it's worth, let's say, $350,000 and you owe the bank, you've been paying the bank back uh, you know, uh, interest on $500,000 but no principal, it's not easy to be able to go back to that bank and roll over that loan for and get more interest-only period time to repay that debt. So this is where it's getting all very interesting. It's like a complete disaster every time a housing market falls and it's it's irrevocable you can't repair the damage because all of a sudden you've got all these all these people at the same time who can't service their mortgage and they all had to put their properties up on the market or or go to the you know or you know sell it at a loss and not only sell their investment property but then they've also had to go and sell their own home to be able to pay back the bank the the full principal because they never had the cash guarantees they were asset as you said asset rich but income poor so they never had the cash to be able to pay back uh the bank uh, the difference between the selling price and what they owed the bank and and then where it gets even more nuts is uh, when you start looking at the the bank's copies of these people's financial circumstances that on, on on many occasions it was not what the borrower or the broker inputted into this into the service calculators that the the banks have for the the mortgage brokers or the loan officers working at a bank so for example there's people that were stating that their income was let's say $4500 a month and then the bank when the bank would send through all the paperwork it showed that the bank's version was that they were earning $5700 a month not not $4500 a month and how is that possible? How is that possible? Exactly. There's so many similarities to what to what we saw in America. It just seems like a, a Groundhog Day. Uh, that almost sounds like the sort of robo signatures um, debacle that was going on, where banks were basically upping people's incomes and and signing off on things using automated signatures rather than any due diligence. Well, well, that's exactly right. There's no, there seems to be no communication anymore between the borrower and the actual lender. And uh, what we found was, you know, we we looked at, uh, we, you know, especially through the work of uh, there's a consumer advocate, a financial consumer advocate out in Western Australia called Denise Braley. Yes. Um, and she's the one. I mean, funny enough, I mean. You know, if you could imagine a lone consumer advocate all the way out in Western Australia who really, you know, who essentially uncovered all this, uh, we, we were just blown away when we started looking at the looking at the paperwork and and uh, and talking to a lot of the uh, people that have been been affected by this. And then 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 our next big question was, well, if this is going on systemically, if the banks are basically shifting the goal that using both algorithms within their systems and and data entry analysts to shift the goalpost of serviceability, what the heck is ASIC and APRA doing about it? And um, that's where, where, in our view, things get even more crazy because we're looking at 
a 100% track record of borrowers actually trying to get in touch with ASIC and APRA to say, hey, I'm a victim of this fraud. Um, I, I, I have a bank who has misstated my financial circumstances and this is a clean-cut case of fraud. And on every single occasion, every single occasion, ASIC and APRA turned around to the borrower and said, we will not investigate the matter. Talk to the financial officer. Uh, listeners, you're on 3CR's Renegade Economist, and this week we're discussing with Lindsay David, co-founder of LF Economics, so one of the primary groups in Australia continuing to compile evidence showing that uh, this is a, a systematic form of oversight from the banking industry and the regulators, so in effect building up the evidence so when the crash does happen, nobody can say that uh, we, we didn't see this coming and this is all unexpected. I really respect you guys for doing this work. And and then on that line, to Denise Braley, someone uh, who had thousands of cases on her books some um, four years ago when I interviewed her, great to hear that she's still forging ahead. And uh, I noted with interest that... Uh, on the news.com.au website uh, article quoting your report that uh, very quickly uh, ASIC had uh, shut down any response. They had no comment to your report to the fact that uh, uh, these uh, no-income, no-jobs type borrowers, uh, asset-rich, income-poor pensioners were uh, investing in mining uh, communities, uh, falling uh, foul of the cash flow issue when when properties uh, fell in value they had to make up the the margin call they didn't have the cash on board and as you said they had to sell their primary home so Lindsay David my question for you is uh, li- thinking back to the 2007-08 type period through to 09-10 and there was quite a lot of uh, it was like almost watching uh, people lining up and falling off a cliff because they had the numbers there to show when their low interest loans were going to adjust to these uh, skyrocketing interest rates. Do we have any data on the number of interest only loans and when they fall due in certain regions? Is anything like that available in terms of our data analysis here in Australia? Well, I mean, what we know, all, all that we know is that, uh, well, most of the loans in, in that the big banks issue are, are adjustable rate mortgages. So they're, they're, not, um, they're, they're not set rates. But what we do know is a lot of the loans that are issued, not all of them, obviously, but a pretty good chunk um, of loans are, that are being pumped into this market are just simply not serviceable. The interest-only period is serviceable. But not, the, but not the principal repayment periods. So when I, I disagree with a lot of people that say that you know thirty or forty or whatever it is percent of all mortgages are under mortgage stress. The, the fact is, is there's not as many 
interest-only loans that are under mortgage stress while they're only paying the interest-only period. But it's when the switch, when it's when the time comes to make the switch from interest-only to principal and interest, that's when things get interesting. And we don't know how many people out there have that problem. But all we know is is that there are a heck of a lot of interest-only loans out there. Um, you know, property investors, at least according to the stats, that you know, 70% of all property investor loans or somewhere around there uh, are interest-only loans. There's a lot of people out there who have no intention to repay their mortgages, but I would say there are just as many people out there that would never have the capacity to be able to repay the interest and principal on these mortgages. So mm. they're, they're just assume they're going to be able to live off interest-only loans, which are, you know, let's call them what they are, rental loans, you know, that to live off these rental loans and that they owe nobody nothing. And mm. a lot of people, once the housing market turns south, it's a, it's a really challenging situation for a lot of these people. And that's why you've seen, especially, you know, people say that, you know, house prices can't crash in Australia. But what we're already seeing in a lot of, you know, albeit in much smaller property markets, we, we just see house prices, they, they just fall through the fall through the floor. They fall through the ground. I mean, there's the the viciousness of these falls are, are something I don't, I, I struggle to find elsewhere. I can't find, you know, I'm struggling to find other property markets that were once six or $700,000 and now only worth, you know, $150,000. It was interesting that this week, uh, as your report came out soon after, UBS released a, a survey of uh, uh, borrowers and whether they fudged the figures on their incomes. And in a way, it pointed the blame back at them. And there's been a lot of press around that story of the borrowers uh, being a little uh, cheeky and uh, there being some uh, a third to a half of all loans uh, are facing some particular uh, some resultant pressure because uh, their incomes aren't as high as they say they are here's your report that says well hang on a minute we've got to go higher up the chain we've got to look at what the actual banksters are up to and, and look at uh, some of the trends that are happening there so there's this growing list of concerns about our banking industry uh, the Commonwealth Bank uh, we have had time to cover it on the show but uh, they've had uh, hundreds of examples thousands of examples of money laundering going through this system but uh, talking to Philip Seuss your your uh, colleague recently he was saying that this control fraud issue is only just beginning there's a lot to be revealed uh, is there anything you can tell us uh, you did a recent uh, submission to the penalties for white collar crime inquiry uh, what do you see coming on the horizon for the banking industry to be, to be quite frank, I, I see a lot of lawsuits, a lot of class actions. I don't see how, um, inevitably, I mean, look, if, it, it, I mean, it's it's a very, it's a very serious problem, and I, I just, inevitably, the the legal profession is going to wrap their heads around this. Um, you know, we're, we're forensic researchers, you know, and, and macroeconomic researchers, and you know, forensic research is our, you know, that's our, our you know, pet pet hobby. I guess more than anything else, and but so we're kind of I would probably say a little bit of, ahead of the pack in terms of understanding the the A to Z mechanics of mortgage control fraud. But once I, I'm, I'm, which I'm sure is going to inevitably happen, the legal profession are going to wrap their heads around it, just like the American legal profession did. That's when you're going to start to see problems because if you have to remember, 
if a bank is fraudulently issuing a loan to a borrower by making them look more creditworthy than what they really are, you have to ask yourself, why on earth would a bank do that in the first place? Because at face value, it makes no sense for a bank to give someone a loan that they'll never be able to repay um, because that what the markets, how the markets would normally react to that is, well, if you're going to go and if you're a bank and you're going to go and give people loans they're never going to repay, I'm either a not going to give you any money or b I'm going to ask you for one heck of a premium on the interest you give me for you going and taking such a crazy risk. Now, if the the key reason for mortgage control fraud is to be able to assure because you know these schemes need what is a prerequisite. I mean, these schemes can't survive without cheap funding and if you're if these banks are deceiving the wholesale lending community and deposit holders the way the evidence is kind of telling us it is well you're not only going to get sued by borrowers you're going to get sued by wholesale lenders uh, and big very big funds Lindsay, that was one of the the other core findings I was very interested in uh, from your report, the big rort. Now, um, if the wholesale market market does dry up, uh, what role do you think the derivatives market might play? Because traditionally, that's been what Wall Street has um, relied on when things tighten up uh, in other areas. Here in Australia, the der- derivatives market is still relatively small. But the 2014 Australian over-the-counter derivatives market uh, investigation uh, through Parliament uh, gave recommendations to consider a central clearing mandate for trades uh, between these huge international banks in Australian-denominated interest rate derivatives. doesn't seem like much has happened there. What's happening behind the scenes in the derivatives market? Is, Is there much picking up there? Yeah, well, if, if you look if you look at the size of the market compared to the size of the economy, it's a it's a pretty big space. It's growing, but in saying that, um, that's off balance sheet risk, right? So, whilst banks can get themselves caught up in in that pickle, it's it's more often than not the exposure of someone else, not the bank. So, what we kind of look at is the loss ratio of what could happen there versus the loss ratio of what could happen what's uh, of what's on their balance sheet. What's pretty clear to say is it's okay for a bank, I mean, it's crazy, it sounds, it's okay for a bank if they're losing other people's uh, money that they don't have to pay back, but it's when they lose other people's money that they have to pay back is the problem, right? So when, when we look at the, uh, the comparison from the derivatives to what's actually, you know, bank smack on their balance sheet, um, it's what's on their balance sheet that concerns me more than, you know, I would say the the actual derivatives market. I don't think uh, I, I don't think uh, our banks have as much loss risk versus what they would on, for example, if no one could pay back their mortgage. Mm. So the the land price premium that people are paying is a bigger risk to the banking system than uh, the derivatives market at present. Okay. Well, Lindsay, David, to finish off then. What do you think uh, anyone looking to to borrow should be, what sort of questions should they be asking of their bank uh, before taking out a mortgage? Well, here's the funny thing is, the banks, uh, when you go and fill out your three-page application form or loan application form, well, before you go and take on the loan, you should go um, ask them for the other 18 pages or so that the banks write up on your loan application that you never see. 
So by the time your loan application is uh, is approved, there's normally about 18 pages or 30 pages, depending on which bank. And then basically, you should ask to see uh, how the ba- how the loan was um, ca- how the loan was calculated and serviceable. And uh, look, we we're not going to give all the give away all the tricks of the trade that we have in terms of being able to help uh, muster up uh, data and uh, you know forensic information. But what I what I would say is that um, you need to make it if it's it, you you need to calculate over the entirety of the loan period how the loan is going to be serviced, how you're going to be able to service it, and what are your financial parameters in place to be able to absorb the risk, right? So if, for example, you have a loan and what's your buffer if you lose your job? Because in Australia, the big problem we have here is that if you lose your job, uh, we have a set unemployment rate. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, the government won't give you money relative to what you used to earn in your prior job. It's a basically a flat rate, which is probably not big, nowhere near big enough to even service your more, uh, one's mortgage, let alone all the other cost of living outside of that. So I'm not really you know, one to say whether to, I, I normally keep my nose out of it because to be quite frank, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of sitting around with the popcorn on this one, just watching people do uh, take on some crazy loans. But uh, the last thing you want to be doing is... is um, when house prices fall, just like what's happened in a lot of mining towns, is to be the one holding the hot potato. If you're the one holding the hot potato, you're going to find yourself in a financial pickle. But if you're the one who got out before and passed that hot potato on to someone else, I'd probably say you're laughing. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's uh, in these housing bubbles, there's always winners and there's always losers. And uh, I would say it's going to be, you'd much rather want to be one of the winners than, than one of the losers on this one. Well, Lindsay, David, uh, let's hope uh, our fellow renegade economists listening are uh, on the winning side of these trades. Uh, Thanks so much for your time today. And listeners, make sure you tune in to lfeconomics.com. That's lfeconomics.com. End of line. So there we are, listeners, on 3CR's Renegade Economists, another investigation into uh, Australia's uh, banking system. Quite extraordinary to hear that uh, you're unearned income, your capital gains, the economic rents from owning your house are being included as uh, depositable incomes for investors, basically allowing them to uh, use their house as an ATM for their next property purchase. That's the sort of Ponzi economics that blew the world economy apart and uh, we've learnt very little here in Australia You heard that ASIC and APRA refused to investigate. Uh, The other big revelation in this uh, big rort report by Lindsay was that banks are upscaling people's incomes in order to look good to the financial market so they can attain this uh, cheaper uh, international financing. Lindsay David is raising concerns that when banks see just how many of these interest-only loans are being poorly written up, uh, they will stop lending to the Australian banking system and that could lead to an upcoming credit crunch. There's always lots to consider here on 3CR's Renegade Economist. So thank you for listening. I thank you for sharing this show with your networks and uh, Make sure you check out the show notes at earthsharing.org.au. All right, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. We'll be back next week with another investigation into these economic rules of engagement.
why don't people study these day in and day out?